Chapter 8 of Tom Swift and His Wireless Message This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Tom Swift and His Wireless Message by Victor Appleton II Chapter 8 Andy's Revenge During the following week, Tom was kept busy over the airship. He made many important changes, and one of these was to use a new kind of gas in the balloon bag. He wanted a gas with a greater lifting power than that of the ordinary illuminating vapor, which Mr. Fenwick had used. Well, remarked Tom, as he came from the airship shed one afternoon, I think we can give it a tryout, Mr. Fenwick, in a few days more. I shall have to go back to Shopton to get some articles I need, and when I come back I will bring Mr. Damon with me, and we will see what the wizard can do. Do you mean we will make a trial flight? Yes. For how long a distance? It all depends on how she behaves, answered Tom with a smile. If possible, we'll make a long flight. Then I'll tell you what I'm going to do, went on the inventor. I'm going to put aboard a stock of provisions and some other supplies in stores in case we are two or three days in the air. It might not be a bad plan, agreed Tom, though I hardly think we will be gone as long as that. Well, being out in the air always makes me hungry, proceeded Mr. Fenwick, so I'm going to take plenty of food along. The time was to come, and that very soon, when the decision of the inventor of the wizard stood the adventurers in good steed. Tom returned to Shopton the next day, and sent word to have Mr. Damon join him in time to go back to Quaker City two days later. But why don't you start right back to Philadelphia tomorrow? asked Mr. Swift of his son. Because, answered Tom and that was all the reason he would give. Though had anyone seen him reading a certain note a few minutes before that, which note was awaiting him on his arrival from Quaker City, they would have not wondered at his decision. The note was brief. It merely said, Won't you come and have some apple turnovers? The new cook is a treasure, and the girls are anxious to meet you. It was signed, Mary Nestor. I think I could enjoy some apple turnovers, remarked Tom with a smile. Having gotten ready for a few special appliances he wished to take back to Philadelphia with him, Tom went on that evening to call Mrs. Nestor. True to her promise, the girl had a big plate full of apple turnovers, which she gaily offered our hero on his arrival, and, on his laughing declination to partake of so many, she ushered him into a room full of pretty girls, saying, "'They'll help you eat them, Tom. Girls, here is Mr. Swift.' Who doesn't mind going up in the air or under the ocean, or even catching runaway horses? By which last she referred to the time Tom saved her life, and first made her acquaintance. As for the young inventor, he gave a gasp, almost as if to plunge into a bath of icy water, at the sight of so many pretty faces staring at him. He said afterward that he would have rather vaulted back to the earth from a seven-mile height, than again face such a battery of sparkling eyes. But our hero soon recovered himself and entered into the merriment of the evening and before he knew it was telling mrs nestor and her attractive guests something of his exploits but i'm talking altogether too much about myself he said finally how is the new cook miss nestor and have you heard from your father and mother since they sailed on the resolute for the west indies as to the new cook she is a jewel of the first water answered mrs nestor we all like her, and she is anxious for another ride in the taxicab, as she calls your auto. She shall have it, declared Tom, and these are the best apple turnovers I ever ate. 
I'll tell her so, declared Mary. She'll appreciate it coming from an avenger of your ability. Have you heard from your parents? asked Tom, anxious to change the subject. Oh, yes, I had a wire today. They stopped at St. Augustine to let me know they were having a glorious time aboard the yacht. Mr. Hosebrook, the owner, is an ideal host, Mama said. They are proceeding directly to the West Indies now. I do hope they arrive safely. And say, there are bad storms down there at this time of year. Perhaps if they are shipwrecked, Mr. Swift will go to their rescue in one of the airships, or a submarine, suggested Mabel Jackson, one of the several pretty girls. Oh, I hope he doesn't have to, exclaimed Mary. Don't speak of shipwreck. It makes me shudder. And she seemed unduly alarmed. Of course they won't have any trouble, asserted Tom, confidently, more to reassure Mrs. Nestor than from any knowledge he possessed. But if they do get cast on a desert island, I'll certainly go to their rescue, he added. It was late when Tom started to go home for night, for the society of Miss Nestor and her friends made time pass quickly. He promised to call again, and try some more samples of the new cook's culinary art, as soon as he had gotten to Mr. Fenwick's airship in shape for flying. As later that night, the young inventor came in sight of his home and the various buildings and shops surrounding him, and his first glance toward the shed which contained the monoplane, Butterfly, that little craft was Tom's pet, and had not cost him anything like as much as it had his other inventions, either in time or money, but he cared for it more than his big airship, Red Cloud. This was principally because the Butterfly was so light and airy, and could be gotten ready so quickly for flight across the country. It was capable of long endurance, too, for an extra supply of gasoline and oil was carried aboard. So it was rather a start of impulse that Tom saw a light in the structure where the butterfly was housed. I wonder if Dad or Mr. Jackson can be out there, he must. I don't see why they should be. They wouldn't be going out for a flight at night. Or perhaps Mr. Damon arrived, and is looking out over... A moment's reflection, however, told Tom that this last summarize could not be true, since the eccentric man had telegraphed, saying he would not arrive till the next day. "'Somebody's out there, however,' went on Tom, "'and I'm going to see who it is. I hope it isn't Eradicate monkeying with the monoplane. He's very curious, and might get it out of order.' Tom increased his pace and moved swiftly but softly towards the shed. If there was an intruder inside, he wanted to surprise them. There were large windows to the place, and they would give him a good view of the interior. As Tom approached, the light within flickered and moved to and fro. Tom reached one of the casements and peered in. He caught a glimpse of the moving figure, then a peculiar ripping sound. Then, as he sprang towards the front door, a light suddenly went out and the young inventor could hear someone running from the shop. They've seen me and are trying to get away, thought the lad. I must catch them. He leaped towards the portal, and just as he reached it, a figure sprang out, so close that Tom, unknown, collided with him, and our hero went over in his back. The other person tossed by the force of the impact, but quickly recovered himself and dashed away. Not before, however, Tom had had a chance to glance at his face, and, to the charging of the young inventor, he realized, by the dim light of the crescent moon, the countenance of Andy Fogger. If additional evidence was needed, Tom was fully recognized as that form of the town boy. Hold on there, Andy Fogger, shouted the young inventor. What are you doing in my shed? 
What right have you in there? What did you do? Back came the answer through the night. I told you I'd get square with you, and I've done it. Then Andy's footstep died away, with a mocking laugh floated back to Tom. What was Andy's revenge? End of chapter.